Hi everyone and welcome back to the Paramount Podcast. Um, great to have you all here again. I am James Prescott. I'm hosting the podcast as always. Um, and today uh, we have two guests on the show, which is really exciting. It doesn't happen all the time. Um, it's two people that uh, regular listeners will know because they've both been on the show before. Um, uh, Jenna DeWitt and Holly Stalkup, welcome to the show. Hi. Hey, good to be back, James. Yeah, it's good to have you both back on the show. Um, and we're going to have a conversation today around singleness and healthy expressions of sexuality. Um, and um, this kind of came out of a, a thread that Holly posted back in, on Twitter back in February. And um, we thought we're all single here. So um, we thought it would be good if we could just talk about this this it's really important topic um and you know how it kind of mixes up with purity culture and things like that and um because it's something that's not often talked about and we need to talk about it more um and you know some people are single by by choice some people are single not by choice um but whatever your reason for being single um uh you know what single experience is something that needs to be talked about more so um okay so let's get into that kind of that thread that 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 holly um shared in february because you were talking about well just you tell us what it was about i think um you're the best person to tell us what it's about holly (laughs) yeah so um our friend birdie who is a um licensed therapist had just posted a really simple tweet with a stat about women who are able to orgasm um with um just like normal uh or not normal but just an interaction um without any help from a vibrator and then encouraged women like go and get a vibrator and so that's kind of how our conversation um started um and i just talked very briefly um about why we don't talk about these things in the church, why we don't talk about masturbation or vibrators, why women who are married don't feel like they can talk about um, having um, sex toys or um, kind of different expressions outside of kind of the normal expression of sexuality that we've been taught in the church. Um, And so, um, you know, and then went on to talk about, because this is very important to me, and I think it's important to both of you, about the fact that um, we all have different sexual ethics. Um, and so we need to have ways that we can have open conversations while still um, trying to honor where everyone is at in their theology and um, creating spaces for nuance, <laughs> spaces for people to change um, in the way that they're viewing um, sexuality or even in what they need or want in any particular season. Um, Jen, I feel like that might be something you can speak to, but that that things don't have to be stagnant. You know, that in, um, in my work, we talk about just women thriving holistically, um, but that that can look like a million different things in a million different seasons for women. Um, and so, Jenna, I don't know if you want to add to that kind of nuance of um, making room for us to change and grow in our sexual expression and the way we think about that stuff. But that's kind of where we started the conversation. So, 
Yeah, Jenna, go, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, so I want to put a big emphasis on um, how culturally we've been given this message that sexuality is something very static, that um, if you are not married, then you don't have it, and that if you do marry, you are married, um, you should immediately, as soon as you get married, have sexuality and be really, really into it. And that is just not how human bodies work biologically. That's not how God made us. That's just not how personalities work. Um, so some people really like sex with certain other people. Some people like sex with a lot of varieties of different people, and some don't want it at all. And those are all okay. And they don't have to be certain stages of life um, that can come in and out. So maybe sexuality for you right now looks like abstinence. And later you find someone to share a sexual relationship with. Maybe you have a sexual relationship right now, and later abstinence sounds healthier for you. Maybe right now you're with a boyfriend, but you find that women are actually a better fit for you and for what you want in a relationship. Maybe you don't want to be in a relationship at all like me. Um, things change, and our understanding of ourselves grows as we mature and as we know ourselves better, and there's new people around us that might change our perspectives. So not only do we want to dismantle like shame around what's right or wrong, but also some things may be morally neutral or good in general, but it's just not a good fit for you and for your values and for what you know about yourself in this season. Um, so we kind of hold this tension of this sense of self-awareness with the cultural messages that we've been given. Um, so it's like not only about embodiment in ourselves, but it's also a way to hold non-judgment for others, realizing that this is a decision for me. This is what's right. This is what like I feel like God has called me to. Um, but we don't prescribe like a blanket set of purity codes of how all people have to behave because of what path we're on personally. Um, what is your gift? Find out what your gift is. And um, we're going to talk about how those can be expressed in our bodies and relationships and our sexuality which is going to be different for everyone. So it only harms people when we say all people have to act and think and identify in the same ways. And it's really unrealistic given the diversity in the world around us. Yeah, that makes absolutely sense. Um, and all of us have kind of been brought up with this archaic idea that you kind of alluded to, um, Jenna, that uh, this, um, you know, you're, you're not meant to have sex until you're married. And before you get married, you can't do any any kind of engage in anything which would be called a sexual act, um, and it's all it's bad and it's wrong, and you're not meant to talk about it. And then suddenly, when you get married, it's like, oh, it's okay to talk about it. Suddenly, you're okay. Suddenly, it's all good. Suddenly, it's it's fine. Um, you know, and of course, biologically and psychologically, that's not helpful, healthy. Um, the psychological damage to get done by something like that to somebody and their ability to actually have sex when they, when they actually meet someone they want to have sex with, if they do want to have sex with somebody, um, is, 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 is real. And, um, and it affects the body's ability to perform sexually. There's people have to have therapy and all this kind of thing because of this toxic, toxic way of believing and, um, kind of treating our bodies as not listening to our bodies and, not listening to our biology, um, which uh, which is what you kind of alluded to, Jenna. Um, yeah, I do want to add in there, it's okay if you feel like that is right for you. That yeah. if you feel like you want to wait until marriage to have sex, there's yeah. nothing oh, wrong with that. Like, we're not saying that that isn't a healthy choice for you individually. We're saying as a yeah. cultural mandate, that's a really unhealthy cultural yeah, mandate on every single person. Yeah. And that also, if you 
feel like you are pressured to have sex in your marriage, that can also be a really unhealthy thing. So there's nothing wrong with waiting until marriage or not wanting to have sex right now. Um, But then there's also nothing wrong with not wanting a relationship that involves sex. So um, I I feel like there's a lot of pressure that's put on women um, to be sexual from the culture, there's a lot of pressure to be sexual right now, um, even if you don't have a relationship. And then from the church, there's a lot of perspective of um, being sexual in your marriage. Um, but if if you want a relationship that is a committed relationship, that is a non-sexual relationship, that's okay. Or mm-hmm. if you don't want to have a relationship, um, I'm non-partnering and I don't have either sex or romance in my life. And that's fine. But here, I want to clarify something. Sex is not just intercourse, and it especially is not just intercourse between a man and a woman. And so sexuality could be vibrators. It could be audio erotica. It could be um, consuming sexual media. Um, It might be reading a novel or just exploring your own body and how touch feels to you, whether that's something as um, innocent as just like, you know, self-massage or um, any sort of relationship with your body. So, you know, the the stereotype, of course, is always like taking a bubble bath for self-care, but mindfulness around what are the things that you're sensing with your senses? What does that sensory experience look like? Um, And that is all an embodiment of our sexuality. Yeah. And I think kind of building off that, Jenna, like we need to make room um, to say there is a way to be sex positive and not sexually active, right? So if you're um, celibate for a season, because theologically you hold a position that sex is meant for marriage, or if you're celibate for a lifetime, because theologically um, you hold as a gay man or woman, um, that celibacy is the path forward for you. That doesn't mean that you're sex negative, right? Like in and of itself, that does not mean that you um, have a shameful view of sex um, or that you have a shameful view of your own sexuality, right? Um, There are gay men and women who are proud gay men and women who also have chosen the path of celibacy. And that there has to be a place for that in our conversations about being sex positive, or we're just having a conversation about you're sex positive if you're sex positive in the way that I'm sex positive, right? Um, And that doesn't leave room um, for all of us, again, to explore our bodies and to intersect our faith with our sexuality and and all those kinds of things. Well, and I also want to be really careful there because we use that, um, the side B sexuality a lot um, as an example of celibacy, but that's not the only kind of celibacy. So you can be fully side A theologically believing that there's no special rules put on anyone's sexuality uh, based on their orientation. Um, so I'm celibate because I'm asexual and there's just no appeal. Some asexual people are not celibate. Some people do. Um, but I don't really believe that there's any specific reason that I would be celibate based on my orientation. Um, so there's, I, I don't want to withhold celibacy as a gift from heterosexual people or from people who are questioning. Um, because if we say that celibacy is only for people who believe that they can't act on their homosexual yeah like acts or whatever they say in the, you know, book of discipline or whatever theology you're following. Um, it's, it's not that celibacy is a gift. It's a calling. It's not something that, um, is a denial of what's been given. It's, it's a gift that you are looking forward to. Like, it's not hard. It's something that you just want. Um, so I, I feel like we get 
into a really toxic purity culture territory when we tell people they have to be celibate because of right. their orientation or attraction. Whereas in reality, it could be heterosexual people that feel like, you know what, I have sexual attraction. I'm a woman. I have sexual attraction to men, but I feel like celibacy is God's gift to me. Um, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. And you don't have to like pretend to be um, hiding that in any way. Yeah. yeah. And I, think, I think the, th- the thing, that, the, key, the key thing I noticed, I'm noticing here is that nothing should be mandated to us. Right. Like nothing. Yeah. It should not be that you have to save yourself from marriage. It should not be that you... Uh, that you have to have sex in your when you're in a relationship. It should not be that you have to have sex if you're married. It should not. Like, there's nothing that it's it's whatever works for you and whatever you're comfortable with and whatever works if you're in a relationship. Whatever works in the context of your relationship. Um, it's freedom of choice um, and listening to our bodies, listening to our desires, and um, and also obviously it's about consent if you have a partner as well. That's absolutely core value um and and yeah that's that's all really really important and that that leaves them for everybody to explore their sexuality in the way which feels right for them and which they feel safe and comfortable with which is really really important holly i thought you were gonna say yeah something. and and i think that there's this tension right that we hold in everything when you follow jesus of like okay how do i um pick apart what I've been taught (laughs) about Jesus and about following Jesus. And then what do I keep and what do I get rid of? Because I find that, oh, wait, I don't really think that's what Jesus taught. And I think this conversation so centers around the fact that many of us were never taught the intersection of our physical lived bodies with our theology, right? Like that God made me in his image, not as a concept, but as bones and skin and sex organs and a brain and a heart, right? All of those different things. And so we're trying to, first of all, reconnect with our bodies that God made (laughs) and say, oh, this is an actual part of my theology. This is an actual part of my experience with God as my physical body. Okay, so that's mind-blowing for most of us to begin with, is that following God is a physical, grounded act, not just a heady or or even heart-driven thing. And then it becomes, okay, I want to intersect what my body wants, what my body needs with what I feel like is God's best, what he's, what God is he or she, what God is asking me to do with my body, right? And Jenna, that's what you're saying about celibacy is celibacy is not just like, well, I've had this teaching from the church and I'm not allowed to have sex, so I'm not going to have sex, right? Mm -hmm. Like celibacy is I'm going to wrestle with what I've been taught and I'm going to pick apart what I think is good and what isn't. And I think this conversation can't be disconnected from community, right? Like any decision that I'm making with my body, like whether it's being a pacifist or whether to be sexually active or not, I want to be making those decisions in the context of community. So not like a high church leader on Sunday morning saying, don't do this sexually or don't do this sexually, but me going to the people that are seeking Jesus with me every day and talking about these questions. And so I think we have to kind of find that balance of, 
yes, I want to claim my own autonomy. I want to remember that I am in control of my body. Um, that, you know, a man on high is not going to tell me what I'm going to do with my body, what I'm going to do with pleasure, right? Like, but I also don't want to do it alone. I don't just want to kind of do a, you only live once, I'm going to do what I want, right? Because I do think in Jesus, there's a submission that has been twisted by power and greed and white supremacy. But I want to try to come back to a pure submission of like, okay, Jesus, like, what do you, what do you have for my body? What is best for my body? And most of the time, I don't have answers to these questions. I just think they're good, important questions to ask. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'll say a huge part of this is knowing God's character. And so um, as Kelly always talks about is like the fruit of the spirit. You know, um, our friend Kelly Wolf was on uh, James' podcast a couple weeks ago and had this great metaphor um, that we share a lot about you can tell what is good theology. Um so I tweet the other day, it's like, we can't tell what's good theology. We can only tell what's bad theology. And that's not true. Like um, the Barians tested. Uh, Romans talks about you can test and approve what God's will is. Um, and how do we do that? We do that through the fruit of the spirit is what is bearing fruit? What is the theology that is leading to death? And what is a theology that leads to life? What leads to more freedom? Um, God made us in his image. He calls us good. He calls your body good. He made your body with purpose and he made it with intention. And we can let go of shame and enjoy our sexuality or our relationships in whatever form fits our values because that's a gift from God. And it's not a burden full of rules and requirements and terms and conditions that you have to sign. <laughs> there's obviously like healthy ways and sinful ways. Um, there's beneficial things and harmful things we do with our sexuality. But the key is just set those values and the boundaries and then being flexible to adapt those in new seasons of life. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And and freedom to discover new things about yourself sexually. Like I mean, recently I after a lot of um research and talking to people, I realized that I was um demisexual and tetraromantic, which I didn't know existed a year ago. Um and by by that I mean I'm only sexually attracted to people that I have a deep bond with and um women that I have a deep bond with, not I said I'm not sexually attracted to men. Um so I didn't know that existed a year ago and finding that out has actually been really liberating for me and really helpful for me and taking a lot of pressure off me. Um and help me find peace with myself. And that's what happens when we have the space to express ourselves sexually and explore our sexuality without without that shame, without that stigma, without kind of a set of rules governing us, like you know, people from on high telling us what we're meant to do. Um, we, we then have the freedom from shame to discover who we are sexually. And that's a really positive thing. Yeah. And it is good to have rules in the sense of boundaries. It's good to know yeah. where your boundaries are. Who do you trust? What is a safe activity for you? Um, maybe for you, it's just doing it alone. Um, maybe for you, it's only in a committed relationship. Um, there's all sorts of things that um, we can put on ourselves that are good rules and boundaries. We're not saying that rules are wrong. Um, we're just saying that having that um, boundaries comes from understanding vulnerability and what is your, you know, relationship and comfortable comf- comfort with the vulnerable aspects of sex, and then we have to back up a step before that and even say we need to dismantle shame. So the thing that we're getting liberated from is not rules and boundaries. The thing we're being liberated from is shame. 
So shame too often is a motivator behind the purity culture, the uh, moral messaging, things like that, what we've been taught. So we think, oh, since I'm feeling shame, what I'm doing must be wrong. But shame is something we're taught. Um, And like Holly said, like, that's such a good point because we have to dismantle that in community. So it's not saying that we're getting rid of consent. It's not saying we're getting rid of accountability. Um, What we're talking about is you bring it to your community to help you dismantle shame. If your community is giving you more shame, that is not a healthy community you need to be in. Um, So this is not the same as conviction from the Holy Spirit either. Um, Shame is condemnation from the enemy. The difference is the source, but it also in what it tells us about ourselves. Um, If what you're feeling um, around a sexual activity or your own sexuality tells you that you are bad, that you are dirty, that your identity is wrong or messed up or broken. That's not God. That's shame. So guilt is when you do something bad and you know it's bad because you have set your values and an action you know is wrong in relationship to your community. But that's not our identity. We can always choose to do something that's more holistically um, in line with God's character and God's will and God's calling on our lives. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, and I think also kind of connected to shame. There's so much fear um, that the church has given us around sex and sexuality, right? Um, so specifically, when I went to my therapist several years ago, and we've now been together ten years, and so we just have a, a lot of history there. But probably maybe four years ago, I went to her, and we had briefly, maybe kind of touched on a few times masturbation and what her thoughts were on it. And I think I was probably twenty three when I I think I just popped the question like, "What do you think about this?" And uh, she said, and she's pretty theologically conservative, and so I was expecting her to just slice it down with shame and you know and instead she paused and she looked at me and she said well I don't know anyone that's single in your age that isn't doing it and it was this very neutral statement it was neither I think you should engage in this or I think you shouldn't engage in this it was just like factually here is my experience as a therapist. And I thought that was that stuck with me in particular knowing she was theologically conservative, right? And a good therapist, um, a good Christian therapist holds theology without shoving it on you, right? And that's why I've been with her for 10 years is because I want someone who's grounded in the same faith tradition that I am. But I know that she makes a lot of room for me to figure it out on my own and to create guidance when I ask for it. And so, but probably four years ago, I went back to her and I said, listen, And you can tell this comes from purity culture and y'all will just giggle at this. I said, so I was probably close to 30 at the time. And I said, Trisha, if I get a vibrator and then I get married, is it going to make sex with my husband really bad? Because this was the fear that had been put into me by purity culture was you're going to be able to have these incredible orgasms on your own. And you're going to figure it out. But then if you get married, it's going to be really bad because your husband won't be able to give you the pleasure that this sex toy would be able to give you, right? And again, Trisha, with so much gentleness, was like, no. She was like, that won't be a problem. And um, and again, just like this very like, I'm not telling you to do this. I'm not telling you not to do it. Like, here's the facts that as I see them is like, this is not going to be a problem for your like sexual fulfillment 
if you were to get married. Um, and of course, one of the things that she very quickly pointed out that somehow purity culture had um, conveniently left out is she was like, well, couldn't you just use your vibrator with your husband? And I was like, oh, that that's very obvious. But purity culture had really created not even shame as much for me mm-hmm. as a fear that were I to fully experience sexual pleasure on my own, that then I would possibly be missing out with on something with a spouse that may not ever be coming, right? Um, and so that is kind of my that was my kind of entryway into these conversations was really my therapist cutting down fear um, more than shame. So I think shame and fear are really tied together. And Jenna, just like you said, that shame is from the enemy. We know that fear is from the enemy, right? Like God does not get us to do things. God God does not get us going in the way of Jesus through fear. Um, And so if the reason that we're not asking questions about sex and sexuality, if the reason we don't feel like we can get to know our body, um, is because of fear, then that's like a red flag that we want to dig into. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. No, go ahead. <laughs> oh, I say this it's fear is so often used to control. And it's so sex is something mm. that has been so controlled for so long, centuries, from the church, from um, the state. I mean, media, everyone around us tries to control us. And of course, we're going to feel cognitive distance. Of course, we're going to feel shame and confusion and um, putting the, you know, the the money. And I, I was going to say the empire, but it's true. Like there's just so much of an empire around sex as um, from all these different, the different places coming at us from all these different directions. Um telling us not to do it or whatever. Um, Emily Nagoski in Come As You Are talks about the moral messages. And she says, if you want or like sex, you're a slut, you're dirty, you're not pure. But then there's the medical message that says something's wrong with you if you don't want it or if you want it too much. Um, and you know, you don't really know what enough and too much are. And then uh, we see all these, you know, porn examples or whatever, like even just in a normal movie of like what a normal body looks like. I mean, you can see that even down to children's media. It's like, what does a normal body look like? And you think it looks like this skinny, white, you know, perfect and exactly proportioned. You can't be too thin, but you can't be too fat. You can't be this. You can't be that. Um, This medical message tells us your body is not good enough um, or you're not wanting it enough. Your chemical, your hormones are off if you don't want it enough or if you want it too much. Um, Then the moral message combines with the medical message to say, well, it's not natural for women to want sex because um, anything other than their duty and reproduction. Sex, the whole point of sex is for women to reproduce. And so it makes it really hard for women who do want sex for something else. And it makes it harder for women like me who are asexual to find our place because we know we're different. Um, but we're told it's natural that, um, oh yeah, like women want to wait for marriage. That's fine. Or they just want to find the right person or you're just too much of a romantic or whatever. And it's like, that's not it. That's not what I'm trying to tell you. But since women are discouraged from having sexual feelings, if you don't have those feelings, it also hurts you. Um, and then there's the media message. Emily Nagoski talks about the media message is relentless. It's everywhere. Your body is always wrong, no matter what it looks like. You're not doing enough to please your partner. Try these tips and tricks. Buy my book. You know, your life includes your, um, including your sex life is never quite perfect. It's never enough. You will never be enough. Um, and there, here we have 
articles and products and goop and movies and TV characters to try to tell you how to make your sex life better so that you can look more like the ideal. Not too much, but not too little. Not too often, but not too adventurous, but not too boring and not too vanilla. And there's just all of these twos that go around sex trying to control us and to get us to buy their product, whether that product is purity culture in the church or, um, you know, an actual product being sold to us on the internet. So there's just so many things. It's okay to feel confused and it's okay to feel like there's a lot to deconstruct here. Yeah, that's absolutely right. There's a, I had to have, I've been doing therapy for just over a year and a large portion of that to start with was with unlearning purity culture, um, internal family systems therapy, actually literally talking to parts of my brain, which have been indoctrinated into purity culture and shame and, and fear. Um, and actually unlearning that and rewiring my brain. Uh, and that was really liberating when I actually managed to do that. Um, it, because we're, we're fed all these messages and they're literally in our brain. I mean, I, I remember talking to an embodiment coach, um, before I'd done this therapy about sex, um, because you know, obviously it comes up in when you're doing embodiment coaching because it's about your body and befriending your body and listening to your body. Um, and I remember literally opening my mouth to say something, and my brain—I I literally felt my brain send a message to my mouth and not—and I couldn't literally get the word out of my mouth. My mouth was li- literally open, like almost saying it, but it wouldn't say the words. And I, I could feel the energy from my brain going into my like sending a message to my it was it was so tangible and I was like oh my gosh like this is this has been kind of indoctrinated into my brain this is a learned behavior and my brain this my brain sends this message to because it's trying to help me it's not trying to because that's what it thinks is the correct the correct thing but it's not uh so I had to unlearn that because it does get really buried deep in us so in our psyche more than we probably realize it's it's if we've grown up with it, it's it's very deep and we have to unlearn it. Um, and it takes time. We have to have grace with ourselves, like you say, and and not need to have all the answers straight away and know it's okay to be a bit confused and a bit unsure and, um, and just have grace with ourselves, take time for ourselves um, to make peace with ourselves and find whatever our healthy sexual ethic and sexual boundaries are. Yeah. And I think this, like when we talk about purity culture, so like I grew up in a church where I did not walk away with a lot of church trauma. So I have not spent my 20s and 30s deconstructing a bunch of super harmful stuff um, that I grew up with. And I thank my parents for that very often. Um, And so I didn't go to like a bunch of daddy, daughter, daddy, daughter dances or, you know, kind of these, I wasn't homeschooled or, you know, and Jenna, I think you probably had a similar experience of like, you know, we weren't soaked in this super conservative fundamentalist Mm. um, purity culture. And yet, right, um, I grew up in the South. I um, grew up with enough friends who were being soaked in this deep purity culture. I grew up going to a Christian bookstore where there were books easily available that were telling me, do this and you'll get your husband, you know? And so I think it's just important to say, like, I think we can kind of segment off purity culture to be like, if you grew up fundamentalist, if you grew up Southern Baptist, if you grew up homeschooled, but I think 
we need to see that very trickle down effect that even if it was never called purity culture, even if you never did like the super sketchy things where like a rose was passed around and the petals were ripped off of it. And this is what it is to not be a virgin. You're so many of us. And I think in particular women in the South, um, and obviously James, you're gr- you grew up in a totally different context than Jenna and I, I think mm-hmm. um, we have to identify Maybe there aren't these huge concepts to deconstruct, but taking time to sit with our bodies and say, like, what do I believe about my body? What do I believe about sex? What do I believe about my own sexuality? And where the heck did that come from? Because it may not be this obvious, like, well, it came from that crazy thing we did in youth group, right? Mm -hmm. It may be like, oh, it came a little from this and it came a little from this and it came a little from this. Um, And I think, like, for me, when I started asking these a lot of these questions, and this was probably before I went to Trisha and was like, am I going to ruin my theoretical married sex life, is I had a friend, I was asking all these big questions about who I was and, you know, just having all this existential dread that one has in their late 20s. And I had a friend say, why don't you start with yourself? She said, don't, don't worry about any, your relationships to anyone else. And that's when I got come as you are by, by Emily, like you talked about. And, and Karen just said, just start with that. Just start with your body, your physically lived experience and kind of take out all of the questions that had been, you know, I literally had a word document of like, here are all my questions about sex and sexuality. And Karen just kind of turned the volume down and said, what about your body? And so I think that's one of the best things that has ever happened to me is someone just encouraging me to kind of pause and start with my own literal physical experience. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting. My, my, you're right about my experience. I grew up in obviously the UK. It wasn't purity culture as it is in America, for sure. Um, I grew up in a Methodist church, which was, which was relatively liberal. We had, we had women, in leadership in our church you know it was that was normal for me um for example but there was still kind of the underlying you don't have sex before marriage thing going on um and especially when i went to university when it was when it kind of became a bit more evangelical because that was when the toronto busting was happening in in the in the in the 90s which is showing my age um <laughs> and it was really then kind of drilled into me then like in my in my late teens and early 20s um, and then you add to that the fact that I didn't really get a proper sex education because I had a lot of problems at school and I had a lot of problems at home as a teenager, so I didn't really get educated on sex. So that's really where it all came from for me. Uh, and, of course, in Britain, we're not meant to talk about things like that anyway. It's like cultural. We don't, it's like it's all kind of stiff upper lip and, you know, you don't talk about that. Yeah, it's like, um, And it's not anything. It's not even a religious thing. It's just a cultural thing. Um that is slowly changing, but uh, um, yeah. So yeah, it is interesting. We, we we have different experiences, but we've kind of got to the same place in many ways. Yeah, and so often breaking that shame starts with community, and um, just like I said, like just exploring your own body and exploring what works for you. And it's still possible to say yes to some things and still not want others. There's so many ways to explore your sexuality if 
you know, whatever you're doing, like we talked about the vibrators or the, you know, whatever kind of thing you're doing, don't feel like you are giving into purity culture just because you don't want or like something. That's not consent. That's not consent in your own body. Like even if it's not somebody else pressuring you to do something, um, I still want everybody to realize what they're comfortable with. Like I am not comfortable um, thinking about even having a sexual partner with another person. Um, but there are things that I can do to um, nourish my sexuality um, because it's a common misconception. People say, oh, asexuality means you don't have a sexuality, but that's not true. It just means that like I don't experience attraction to other people. And so there's other ways that you can explore your sexuality, even if maybe it's just inconvenient. Maybe we're in a pandemic and you don't have a sexual partner because we're in a pandemic. And so <laughs> it's really important that we recognize that it's not a strict like, oh, unless you're sleeping with people, you are giving in to purity culture. It's still along the lines of you have to consent to what is okay for you. What do you feel comfortable with? If you don't feel comfortable reading certain books or watching certain things or consuming certain media, like that's okay. It's okay to say no, that I'm not comfortable with this and this isn't what I want to be doing. That's fine. Yeah, absolutely. You can completely deconstruct purity culture and cultural norms for women in the South and still land at a place of, I'm not planning on having sex before marriage. (laughs) Um, I don't feel comfortable masturbating or I don't feel comfortable getting a sex toy. And I I love that. It really, Jenna, that's, I've never heard anyone phrase it that way. And I, I love that idea of it's about our motivation, right? Am I not engaging in, in these things because of shame? Okay, let's let's pull that apart. <laughs> or am I not engaging in these things because of fear? Okay, let's pull that apart. But if I'm not engaging in any particular sexual activity because I don't want to or because I don't have time or because I'm not ready to um, or because it doesn't feel safe, Cool. That's great. Like that is um, that is what it means to be sex positive, right? Um, is to have autonomy and control over your own body. And then, of course, because we're following Jesus, we believe like autonomy and control over my own body. And I'm figuring those things out in community and with the Holy Spirit. Um, kind of that triangular decision making um, way that we think about things. Um, but yeah, I love that idea that. <sighs> We almost create a shame, probably in more progressive circles, of if you're not having sex, if you're not masturbating, if you're not, you know, comfortable watching TV shows that are more R-rated, then you must be still soaked in purity culture. You must be a prude. You must be sex mm-hmm. negative. Um, yeah. So, Jenna, yeah, I just love that. I love the way you said that. Yeah, yeah true. Really was. Yeah. yeah. True sexual liberation includes all varieties of it. it includes asexuality, includes celibacy, um, and it includes, you know, if you want to go there, polyamory. If you want to go there, you know, pansexuality. We, we want to talk about all these different things, um, no matter how much you're having or who you're having it with, or that includes not doing it at all or not having it with anybody. And I think that we need to include all of those extremes in there because everyone is so different. And yeah. I want to say too that like um, when we talk about liberation, um, I really like how Holly keeps bringing us back to that it's part of your relationship with God. Like it's part of your relationship with the Holy Spirit because it's part of God made your body and that embodiment that when I'm talking about um, it's so liberating not to have these rules. Like I want to make sure people don't think it's like this heartless, cold independence. You know, we're not like 
let it go. Like, <laughs> fine, I'm going to do my own thing. It's a liberation um, in the sense of that we know ourselves better and we know God better. It's a way of getting mm-hmm. to know God and, and of worship with our bodies. So I think that's something that is really going to push against a bunch of people that they think there's like holy times and then there's sexy times. And those are not the same thing. But <laughs> I think we like bring those all together in a more holistic view of our bodies and ourselves and of God. Um, God can see you anyway. I don't know if that's ever occurred to y'all, but God can see you in sexy times. Um, but there's so much about that, that um, we put flesh and bone to our faith and our thoughts. And that includes all of this, whether you're eating or having sex or getting a massage or whatever your expression of your mindful embodied sexuality is in the moment, um, God's there with you anyway. You might as well acknowledge him and bring him into the room. So <laughs> maybe that's weird for you. Yeah. Join it. yeah. Yeah. And I mean, God cares about everything we, we do with our bodies, right? Like God cares whether we create violence in the world or not. God cares whether we use our hands to serve or to harm and not like some spiritual hands, like our literal hands, like God cares what we do with our, you know, five fingers on each hand. Um, God cares um, like everything we do with our bodies. God cares about us eating. And again, not in a shame or a fear-filled way, but in a celebratory way, in a way that listens to our bodies via intuitive eating. So this really makes just so much um, just logical, simple sense, right? What you're saying, Jenna, is like, well, if God cares what I'm doing with my my brain and my hands, and then he cares what I'm doing with my sexual organs, right? Um, and if I feel uncomfortable with that, then there's pretty much unquestionably shame, right? At the, at the core of that. And so it's really just about kind of almost piecing back together our literal bodies of saying like, we've been focusing on what our hands are doing or what our feet are doing or what our brain is doing. And there's this one part of me, um, you know, and, and listen, scripture is clear that we're more tender, with the tender parts of our body, right? This is not a call to like go to your parents and discuss your sex life in case, unless that is a place that for whatever reason is like a safe place where you talk about those things. So it's not that we have to talk about what we do with our sexual body as much as we talk about what we're doing with our mm. hands, mm. but we also don't want to completely disconnect it away from our bodies. Um, so handle it with tenderness, cover it um, literally or metaphorically. Um, I, If we were all naked in the garden, then I'm thinking we all might be naked again at the end, which makes my mom very unhappy. Um, I remind her all the time, like, hey, I came out of you naked. And she's like, do not say that. And now that I've said it on a podcast, she will be very angry. But but I just think like it, this really is about holistic it's like a rejoining of our bodies, which talk about liberation. There's so much um, like freedom in just time and energy when we don't have our lives segmented off, yeah. right? Like when we're able to say like, this is who I am as a whole person instead of like, oh, let me deal with this. Let me deal with this. Let me deal with this in these like little silos. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Well, th- this is this is such a great conversation. So much wisdom from both of you today and i agree with everything you've you've said 
really. Um, and I hope for people listening who are kind of going through processing this in some way and um, that it's helpful for you as well because, um, you know, we're not alone on this journey. There's a lot of us on this journey, a lot of us doing this work and a lot of us who are single. And so um, I really hope this has been um, encouraging for everybody. And thank you, Jenna and, and Holly, for contributing so much. It's 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 been fantastic. Thanks for inviting yeah. us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Um, where can people uh, find you both online? Uh, Holly, you start. Um, yeah, I, I'm at Holly, H-O-L-L-Y, stalk up. My mom says it like a horse stall, S-T-A-L-L, and a coffee cup, C-U-P. Um, and that's a great place to connect with me and the organization that I get to help lead, um, which is called Rise. So, And Jenna, uh, Jenna, yeah. You can find me on Twitter at Jenna underscore DeWitt. And you can find my website at Invisible Cake Society. Fantastic. Uh, and do check both of those out. Um, both these, both of you doing great work um, in your own way. And yeah, um, I'm grateful to know you and grateful to be inspired by you. So um, thank you both for coming on. And, uh, and thanks for listening, everybody. I hope this was helpful for you.